The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perra columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We're doing things a bit differently today. We're going to be talking to ourselves here at Stockhead. By that, I mean we're having a chat to Guy LePage. As listeners know, Guy pens the ever-popular weekly Guy on Rocks column here at Stockhead. As the bio note on his column says, Guy is a director and corporate advisor of RM Corporate Finance in Perth with a focus on the resources space. Unlike Garen Pira, Guy actually has some qualifications. He sports a combination of arts and science degrees and a master's in business administration. Guy spent 10 years early in his career as an exploration and mining geologist in Australia, Canada and the United States. Readers of Guy on Rocks know Guy provides insights at the macro level and much to the light of his followers, regular suggestions on stocks to watch, including a hot stock or two to finish his columns up with. With that, um, welcome Guy to the podcast. Thanks for your time today, Guy. Thanks, Barry. Pleasure to be here. Right. Uh, as always, Guy, interesting times in the resources space in a uh, broader market that's uh, hitting record highs. We've got gold back over 1,900 an ounce, iron ore holding above 200, copper at record levels, uranium stirring, and we've got battery metals coming to the boil. And even the beaten up oil and coal prices are in recovery mode. Are we in a super cycle? Does it matter? And if we are, how should investors position themselves? Well, I guess a, a super cycle is, uh, uh, you know, generated by uh, enthusiastic analysts, which is uh, uh, sounds wonderful. But I guess a super cycle is another cycle. I think uh, the the difference here is that we're seeing um, a cycle that's been driven by things other than what we'd normally see, which are mm-hmm. normally we're just seeing simple supply demand. Uh, you know, uh, things coming into, into force, you know, driven by economies and maybe lack of investment and exploration. But this cycle is a bit different. So we're seeing fundamental uh, changes in the use of metals. Um, and then on the supply side, we're seeing significant supply side disruptions uh, due to the coronavirus. So um, uh, coupled with obviously the, the big shift towards EVs, I think that's put upward pressure across uh, all the base metals and uh, PGEs and rare earths. Mm, yeah. yeah, it does seem that uh, the world has decided, uh, in a post-COVID world, if we ever get there, that um, the world has to be greener than ever, and that's obviously good for uh, the, the key battery materials. Indeed. Okay. Now, looking across the various sectors in the resources space, which interests you most at the moment and why? Um, look, I think, I mean, usually in a, in, a, in a recovery phase, which we're in, you'd see it led by the base metals um, and then triple down into the specialty metals. Here we're seeing an across-the-board lift in metals. So uh, I don't normally say it, but everything in the metal space does excite me in terms mm-hmm. of what is more exciting than, than other things. I would have thought rare earths, um, 
which are uh, complex, uh, very difficult on the downstream processing, uh, dominated by China. And I think with Cavanafield and Greenland not going ahead, that's put a, a big hole in the rare earth supply. So mm-hmm. we're starting to see a lot more investment in rare earths. Um, we're starting to see some iron and clay plays here in Australia. Iron and clays are the host to most of the production out of China, which is diminishing. Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting, a very, very complicated space, but interesting. I'm fascinated by iron ore because it's something that uh, analysts have tended to get wrong repeatedly over, in particular, over the last 15, 16 years. Mm. There's still a lot of upside in iron ore, uh, believe it or not, at $200 a tonne, or if not upside, I think a sustained period of very high prices. Um and coupled with the, the great difficulties in bringing on new supply, I think that's fascinating. I, I guess the third one would be um, copper with the EV demand being a fundamental change in the, in the end use of copper. Uh, again, underinvestment in copper in the last, uh, uh, in particular since 2012, I think it's going to put a lot of upward pressure on it. Yeah, just picking up one of those themes, you mentioned iron ore, and I think I've... Uh... I'm as guilty as anyone. I've been writing story after story for three or four years now saying iron ore price was headed south in a big way. Hasn't happened, and people seem to forget that, you know, it's in use. The steel prices are, have been strong. Hot rolled coil, 1600 yeah. US a tonne. Who would have thought? Yeah. I'm just wondering what's – and you can buy your BHP and Rio's, but that's no fun. But if you're looking at those iron ore juniors – yeah. Um, so your expectation is that they, those ones that are coming into production, and some already have, of course, they will be uh, be able to continue to enjoy elevated prices for the foreseeable future? Well, if you need to make, I mean, it's like all of these things, you know, it's about making a call on the iron ore price. Well, mm-hmm. um, if, if you look at a lot of the, and I sort of go back to forecasting because a lot of investment and financing of, of mines is, based on forecasts and consensus forecasts. And I've been occasionally mentioning publications going back two and three years. Mm. They're not wrong by 10 or 20%, they're wrong by 80 or 90%. <laughs> um, and, um, and so I've taken the view that, uh, and going back 10 years and then 15 years, is that the biggest error in iron ore forecasting is the overestimation of supply. Mm. So I'm taking a view that we're going to see iron ore prices above 150, 160 US for quite some time. Um, now, if you apply those metrics to some of the junior iron ore developers, in particular the, the hematite, some of the channel iron, some of the lower grade um, deposits, look at groups like GWR, um, Strike Resources, uh, Phoenix, which I've mentioned a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some others out there, uh, Magnum Mining. Uh, but a lot of the um, studies done on these projects and then now we're coming to operation are showing some pretty big margins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at uh, Matt Ridley, which I'm on the board of in the world range, we're looking for similar um, deposits that Phoenix is mining. Now, they're making margins of well in excess of $150 a tonne. So I think in that junior space, uh, if you're selective, um, you know, there is still some value there. And they are underpriced compared to some of their other 
uh, junior peers um, you know, in the gold sector and base metals. So I think there's still some pretty good value there, but you have to be selective and you really want something with a, a C3 cost of under $120 a tonne Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit of a buffer in the current iron ore market. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess one of the saving graces for the juniors too will be that um, if they can get into production quickly and make the money, probably make their market caps uh, one or two times over before the iron ore price inevitably retreats, um, yeah. they'll have, uh, and they've kept a bit aside after paying dividends, if they do, in fact, yes. but they'll have a bit aside to reinvent themselves anyway. Indeed, and I think... Uh, um, you know, the reinvention of some of these is acquiring more iron ore um, where there's obviously the big issue with iron ore is uh, access to infrastructure, So, um, um, which is not easy. So, um, and I think a lot of them are going to look elsewhere, you know, into base metals, gold, PGEs, etc. So a pretty exciting time, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, gold, such a big part of the resources market here. What's uh, your view on the gold price? Well, I'm, I suppose in WA it's a, it's an offence to make a negative comment on gold, so <laughs> I'm not actually a, a, a legally allowed to say anything bad about gold, but fortunately <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the case for gold is interesting. I mean, you saw going back a month, uh, China's authorised an $8.5 billion US uh, purchase of gold, which is a huge, uh, you know, pretty big expenditure. By mm-hmm. me. Um, a lot of the commentary around gold is is really related to, you know, the US dollar. Um, you know, as the US dollar weakens, they expect gold to rise. Well, that's probably going to happen. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about Bitcoin, which is, you know, about the, less than a tenth of the size of the gold market. Um, you know, I think that Bitcoin is going to have a bit of an influence because I think it's probably going to fade over time. Um, you know, I think the the old fear factor, I mean, the markets are, are running pretty hot, probably a bit overbought. Um, I think gold as a safe haven is still uh, top of the agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, the Australian producers are making good margins, so are the Canadians. So mm-hmm. uh, I Gold definitely going through 2000 this year. I was calling it to 2300 last year, which is probably a bit bullish, but I think we'll see that in the near term. Uh, Given that sort of scenario, uh, should there be an investor, should they be looking at producers or explorers or both? Well, um, it's an interesting scenario at the moment because the the gold sector uh, on the producers front or, or and, and we could extend that to uh, the broader mining market, I guess, is trading at about 1.1 to 1.2 times book value or premium to NPV, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. um, which historically is, is under about slightly the long-term average around 1.3, 1.4. Now, back in October, uh, the gold sector was running pretty hot, trading at sort of two and a half two to two and a half times book value. Mm. So it was overheated. And I thought that it was a signal that either gold's going to go for a massive run or the sector's overpriced. But I think the producers, especially in that mid-space or even the, the large camp, uh, are probably better value than the explorers at the moment. I think a lot of the explorers have run pretty hard. Uh, mm. 
personal feeling, I think there's a lot of uninformed money coming into the resources space. Um, And that's, uh, in my view, not well advised. And I think it's pushed up a lot of the juniors to uh, very high levels uh, on what I think are probably a lot of sort of smaller to marginal assets. Mm. So I take it from that, uh, you'd be a big advocate of people seeking and taking advice from professionals. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right, Barry. I, I find, though, you know, going back sort of 20, 30 years, the number of analysts has diminished and the number mm. of analysts with specific experience across the broking firms in metals, in diamonds, in energy, um, uh, in PGUs has diminished. So, uh, you know, the, the number of investors has increased, a lot of online investment, um, um, a lot of retail investors, uh, a lot of recycled assets coming out that I think are fairly poor quality. So I'm a bit concerned about the valuations of a lot of the juniors. Okay. So buyers beware there. Well, just on when we look at the juniors, the explorers, uh, how, how do you screen investment in that sector? So what would be, say, three or four of the key musts you want to see in a stock before considering it as an investment? Uh, well, look, I, I think the first thing would be a capable management team, and we'll talk a, about a couple of juniors I've been identifying under hot stocks uh, that would fit that bill. So, uh, you know, a lot of very capable people here in WA and across Australia. I'm seeing, um, you know, some of the old hands, uh, Nathan McMahons, et cetera, out there having a massive crack at the moment. Um, so, you know, that would be top of the agenda. The other thing is the ability to execute a business plan. Um, A lot of juniors uh, have designs on development or downstream processing, which they're not um, equipped to execute or alternatively a very high risk plan. So I'm looking for companies to execute a plan that they have a reasonable chance of delivering. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's... um, you know, in the case of, uh, of some of the junior gold producers that have done really well, um, high-grade resources near uh, existing gold plants or uh, things that, you know, they can, they can dig and deliver. Uh, I think some of the, some of the uh, talk on downstream processing of graphite, for example, I think is pretty high risk. Uh, the mm. other scale, uh, a lot of projects do lack scale. I like the projects that... that could be a takeover target by a major gold producer or, or miner mm-hmm. um, because obviously there's a takeover premium. That might be 30 to 50%. Um, the fourth point, um, which is obviously critical, is, is value. And we have a lot of people coming in here saying that they're undervalued compared to their peers um, in the junior space. And my view is, well, that is true, but the whole sector is overvalued. Um, uh, you still don't represent value in my eyes. So mm-hmm. having, having something of um, uh, what I see as, as good value is a good entry point because as we move through the boom, people are chasing smaller and smaller returns. So uh, yeah. the risk is going up. So I think, um, um, you know, preservation of money is uh, as important as um, trying to make money in the current market. Yeah, yeah true. Okay. So there we go. People, um, execution capabilities, takeover potential and uh, relative value. Yeah. 
Good measures, okay. Now, hot stocks. Let's run through your last three hot stock mentions. Gazali on June 1, Peregrine Gold on May 25, and yeah. Calidus on May 18. Gazali's price is steady at, uh, well, last time I looked, at 6.3 cents, while Peregrine is up 9% and Calidus is up 12%. So some handy yeah. gains there. What was it yeah. about those stocks that classified them as hot stocks in your mind? Yeah, I don't know. I think we call them the hot stocks. I, I sort of use that term with trepidation sometimes. But uh, <laughs> is run by Nathan McMahon. Uh, I was going to call him an old crusty geologist, but I can't because he's the same age as me. But he's a guy who is a very capable uh, geo, uh, big following here in the West. Um, huge St Kilda supporter. Huge St Kilda. I won't hold that against him. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, not afraid to have a big swing, but you know, I think he's pretty commercial and uh, he's rolling out the Halls Creek copper project. They're going to start some RC and diamond drilling there, some pretty high grade copper numbers that they returned there previously. There's also a lot of potential long strike, um, a lot of conductors that I remember looking at years ago that never really been followed up, you know, they didn't have the money or mm. where. Obviously, on the sale of their iron ore assets, they're now cashed up with about nine million in the bank. Uh, got an EV of thirteen million, which is reasonable. And I think, you know, I think he's a great uh, contributor to exploration over here. So right. uh, mm-hmm. that's one. Um, Peregrine. Uh, Peregrine is it, it's really sort of backing the jockey here. Um, they started out with um, a sort of portfolio of. Uh, projects in the Pilbara, but um, you know they just put out an announcement on some visible gold um, in their uh, Pilbara gold projects. They've picked up 62 pieces, I think, in pans over 750 metres. This came out yesterday, mm. in fact. Okay. So uh, a bit more interest up up there in the Pilbara. Uh, again, the sort of Ian Metal Mass led team. Yep. Uh, the Board Peter Woodman's a very capable geo, been around a long time, former uh, chief geo at uh, Regis Resources. So this is one of his sort of first forays. But, um, you know, great team, you know, Apollo Group. Um, this is one of their stable. And I think, um, again, relatively low valuation, tight capital structure, uh, very capable team. And, um, you know, whether this is their their big project or not, I'm not sure, but... Um, that they'd certainly be looking at acquisitions as well in this market. Okay, one to watch there. And staying in the Pilbara, Calidus. Yeah, well, Calidus um, are making that transition to uh, producer. Um, they've got the uh, Warra Werner Gold Project. Uh, they've just secured about $25 million in um, uh, project finance. Um, uh, they made an acquisition of a high-grade deposit nearby. So that's increased the resource base to about 1.7 million ounces. Um, so they should be on track for about 130,000 ounces of production at the blue spec, um, all in sustaining costs around 1,300 uh, an ounce. So eight year mine life, pretty solid mine life. So I think that's an undervalued producer when we picked that up um, a couple of weeks ago, a uh, pretty capable board. Mm-hmm. Um, infrastructure is good, so um, you know that's one of the uh, emerging producers. I think still good value and uh, and a bit of upside there. Okay, 
All right, now, I trust you're a good sleeper, but I'm just wondering what, what if anything, keeps you up at night. Uh, are there danger signs out there investors should be aware of or should we um, be relaxed about the foreseeable future across commodities? Um, I think um, the, um, the challenge is that the big challenge, I think, in the resource space now is the deployment of personnel overseas uh, and the movement of people around. So while this isn't great, and I know we, in the West we can't go skiing or go on a European holiday, but um, that is putting a huge amount of pressure on exploration and, and developing new projects in Africa, for example, mm -hmm. uh, Canada. So uh, uh, I'm not saying it uh, keeps me awake at night, but uh, I can't help thinking that that is going to continue to drive things. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of chatter about China, um, mostly coming from the eastern seaboard. Um, that does concern me a little bit because at the end of the day, China's paying the bills here. Mm. Uh, that concerns me a bit. However, I think the ability to substitute, you know, two-thirds of their iron ore production from other sources is, is um, about as likely as you and I arriving on Mars in the next 10 years. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's a bit disappointing to see the um, the uh, deterioration of relations at the government level. However, you know, businesses uh, operate at, at another level, but that's a bit disappointing. Uh, I think the excess valuations on the juniors end are a little bit of a concern, and I, I do get a bit concerned about the... Um, the over-promotion of a lot of recycled assets that are coming into the market at the moment mm -hmm. uh, with the potential to burn a lot of investors. So, um, And I think that comes back to uh, the analytical coverage I don't think is as good as it used to be uh, and the increase in, in online investment and, in, and money in the system generally going to resources, a lot of it uninformed is a concern, but... Um, um, Apart from that, uh, you know, I think we're on good ground for the next few years. Right. I think that's probably a good point to wrap it up. So, Guy, thanks for your insights today um, and thanks for highlighting some of the challenges as well as some of the, uh, the upside that continues to exist out there. So, again, thanks for your time today and we look forward to catching up in the future. Thanks, Barry. Uh, look forward to it.